0: We are talking about biblical planning. If you haven't been along up to this point, this is where we are. I have eight different um, steps that I glean from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15. We get kind of a clue as to how it is that Paul made a plan. And we would used to call this, how to know God's will for your life. We're way past that now. We're just going to say, this is, this is biblical planning. And... Um, how many of you want a review? Anybody? Good. Oh, Andrew does. Okay, Andrew, here's the review. Here's how it works. i got to find it. Oh, yeah. Here's the review. And This is out of Romans 15 from verse 14 all the way through the end of the chapter, where Paul's saying, I'm, I'm going to get to Spain, but this and this and this and so forth have to take place first. Uh, question number one in the planning is, where am I now? In other words, if I'm not... Serving God now, if I'm not following God now, if I'm not interested in, in doing what God wants me to do now, then I really need to deal with that before I move on. That is question one. Secondly, what does the Bible say? Probably there's no explicit reference in there. Kenny, go fix cars at UGM. But there are obviously biblical principles that would endorse that that decision. Uh, third, what are current conditions? What are my obligations According to Scripture, have I met them? Is this a good time for me uh, to do something differently? Uh, Fourth, and we were here uh, last time, what do I want? And that's our favorite one. That's our favorite question. We like what we want. Uh, But basically, it's a question at a deeper level than that. It might be asked this way. How has God wired me? How has God made me? What am I interested in? because that's how he has put me together, because it's so critical that we always play to our strengths. And and for the most part, you're on the beginning of this journey. I'm a lot closer to the end, and there are people I know in, in my uh, generation who have spent their entire careers doing something they really didn't like to do, wishing they had this other thing that they could, could have pursued First thing, you know, oh, they might have a great retirement, um, but they were never really fulfilled, never really had that sense of, yeah, this is right for me. So play to your strengths. Uh, what do I want? Fifth was, how is it practical? Remember my Camaro? <laughs> I couldn't even fit in the Camaro. Uh, my head was pushing through the roof, and I couldn't, it didn't work. So I got out of that deal. Do it practicality is not a bad thing, Um, and here is question six, and we're in Romans, oh, we're going to pray. I almost forgot. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you have your hand in a very personal way upon everyone in this room. You have a way in which you want us to walk. And we know that's true morally and spiritually, but also, Lord, we know that you have a path prepared in life as well. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters that, and for myself that we would be sensitive to that path and that what you showed your apostle many years ago might even today be helpful to us so that we will maximize your glory in our lives. God, help us trust you, even at this level, as we open your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so my phone rang years ago, and this lady wanted a wedding. Now, I have a lot of thoughts on weddings, and most of them negative, and uh, <laughs> marriage and all that, but I 'd known this lady for quite some time. She had been divorced. She had had a, a very bad marriage situation and now she's wanting to remarry another a a gentleman who had also I believe he was a widower in any event she said we would love for you to do our wedding and I said well then let's visit and so they came in and of course I was already knowing her I had to dispense with some of the preliminaries and simply said well when did you want to have this wedding and she named a day like three weeks out. And, of course, I'm not a real happy wedding doer guy anyway. And I said, so why so soon? You know what she said? This is just, this is the lamest response I've ever heard in my life. She said, well, his birthday is next week, and and my birthday is, and she named the day, and we just wanted to have an anniversary that was right between our two birthdays. And I said, are you serious? <laughs> well, and this, 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 this is craziness. Here's the problem. As a pastor, I'm thinking, okay, lady, we got a second marriage going on here. We've got some homework to do. We don't just jump in and do weddings. We have got to make sure as best we can before God and, and before the scripture that this is a, a union that God will sanction. So I said, if you can't wait at least a month and a half, we can't, I, I can't do this. Uh, you can find there's, there's always someone who will. And I used to send people to the Methodists. <laughs> Because that Methodist preacher, he'd do anybody's wedding at any time. Um, The question is this Am I flexible? Or do I got to have it now? Oh, and, and I, in a sense, feel for those of you who are younger because you have been raised in a generation that is saturated with now. Make it quick, no delays. Computers get faster and faster, and we get impatient when we have to wait for them to boot up, and all that goes with that. Am I flexible or do I got to have it now? Look what the apostle says in Romans 15. He's determined, to, to, he says in verse 24 of Romans 15, I'm going to see you in passing when I go to Spain, and so forth. But now, verse 25, now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. I've got this other thing to do. It's an important thing. So I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. They are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore... When I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, then I will go on by way of you to Spain. I want to visit you in Rome, but first things first. It seems as if the apostle was willing to be flexible, indeed willing to wait. Don't you remember that classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life? How many have seen "It's a Wonderful Life?" more than once? Yeah. What was George Bailey's greatest point of frustration as the storyline unfolded? Anybody remember? George Bailey's Jimmy Stewart. Hello. did we see this movie? <laughs> what? His trickier? His trickier. Yeah. <laughs> That's my bad ear, Mr. Gower. Um, no, no. He wanted to travel. He wanted every time he's just ready to go. Something would come up, and poor George Bailey. Uh, He learned, of course, the hard way to be flexible, but of course he had the help of an angel. That's another story. But how willing am I? How willing are you to to forestall marriage or travel or moving or something since uh, should the sovereign God so lead? Or do I have to have it this way and have it this way now? Does God have the freedom in your life and mine to work as he wills? And, you know, what happens, trust me, the more we learn to wait, the more we learn to trust the sovereignty of God. And we say, we believe that, I think it's taught here in this school, maybe in one of Gail's classes, about the sovereignty of God. We say, oh, yes, I love that sovereignty of God. But so natural, isn't it to us, to try to push back against that and to buck it or to try to figure out an end run around it or some way to manipulate and get to where we want to go more quickly. How willing am I? Is he sovereign? Academically, we would say, oh, yes, I believe that. Romans 8, I'm into that. Can I trust him to be sovereign? That may be another question. So in Paul's situation, everything was a go, but God still had things for Paul to do with regard to delivering this offering to Jerusalem. Still had that for him to do. And Paul was aware of that. He responded to those circumstances. And probably along the way, he remembered that verse that some of the more impatient types among us don't like. That verse about a day to the Lord is as how long? Oh, man. Oh, man. That, by the way, I think is a little bit of hyperbole. I'm not sure it's a literal. Thousand years is a day. But God's timetable is his. And normally, he, he seems to be in less of a hurry than we are. It just seems to be the case. Did you know, how many of you recognize the name Adoniram Judson? And where was Adoniram Judson a missionary? Burma, which is today called? Myanmar. Myanmar. Burma's a war zone. That's another story. Did you know that Adoniram Judson was in Burma for 36 straight years? He had no furlough for 36 years. And when he finally was coaxed and dragged home on furlough, he didn't want to go back on furlough, but they brought him back so that he could give uh, some talks and to encourage the international missions effort and so forth. And by the time he got back, he had been so ill and he had been speaking... Other than English, for so many years, he could hardly articulate what he wanted to say. And so he had a, a person with him on the platform, obviously the days before electronic uh, broadcasting and so forth. This, so he would whisper to his person, who served also as his megaphone, and that person then would speak for him. He ran into a problem, though, because what people wanted to hear, uh, they wanted to hear war stories. They want to see beads and trinkets and hear about, you know, spears and things from his pioneering missions days in Burma. And you know what his response was? He's, yeah, I'm not going to tell them about that stuff. I get one chance with these people. I'm going to preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And that's why his furlough only lasted nine months and he went back to Burma. But did you know that he wasn't going to go to Burma initially? He had to stop or he wanted to go to India. He was planning to go to India. That was the plan. That was his agenda. But upon arrival in India, the circumstances there were not friendly to his staying, and so he went across the way and spent his life fruitfully in Burma. He was flexible. Okay, so am I flexible? That's our question. Our next question is this one, and this one is huge. This one is brutal. Who else is involved? Who else is involved? It's one thing to be an American individualist because we have this way of seeing life, of seeing uh, everything from politics to religion as Americans. We see that as such a pr- uh, patently individual thing just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. The Bible doesn't quite present it that way. Notice how many people are touched by Paul's plan. If I I were to just skim these verses, verse 25, I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Macedonia and Achaia have taken up this offering. Um, They are Gentiles. They share in spiritual things and so forth. Verse 30, I urge you, brethren... By our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. How many different people are mentioned in just those few verses? If we slow down, sometimes we see things. Lots of different people. Obviously, Paul, as an individual, as an apostle, missionary, is certainly involved, but we're dealing with the Macedonians, the Achaeans the folks in Jerusalem. He's talking to the Roman brethren, sharing his plan with them. Uh, He mentions the disobedient. And he wants prayer for the disobedient. Now, who would be the disobedient? The naughty ones? Or the, the lost ones? Sure. I'm not suggesting that he's consciously... Presenting us with a list, I think it's just natural to him and to his situation. Who else is involved in your plan? Who's touched by it? We have this idea, and often we love to quote that verse about, did you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? I think, oh, yeah, that's, so that's why, I, that's why I go organic or whatever. Um <laughs> Far and away, the emphasis of the Scripture when it comes to speaking in terms of the body of Christ always is corporate. Always is corporate. Those are plural, second-person plural use in 1 Corinthians 12 and so forth. It's it's a body issue. As a matter of fact, I was fascinated to read a while back um, Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Has anyone read that? Diedrich Bonhoeffer's life together, and what's fascinating about Bonhoeffer's life together is he brought, what he did was just prior to World War II, as the Nazi party was beginning to put a lot of pressure on the Christians in Germany, uh, Bonhoeffer gathered together just a couple dozen guys and took them way up north and had a little Bible school with them. And he was the teacher, and, and they were the students, and they, and they lived life together, and that's the, that's the title of the volume, which contains a lot of his correspondence during that time. In any event. Um, He insisted on certain uh, practices among these people because that word together meant a lot to him. As a matter of fact, he insisted that when it came time to confess sins, that is not something you do alone. After all, where does the Spirit of God live? After all, Bonhoeffer would say, and and, and certainly against his, his Lutheran background... Where does Jesus live? Well, he lives in the body. He lives in the body. He's to be found in the body of Christ, obviously by his spirit. So when you confess, Bonhoeffer said, if it's just you and God, and we love 1 John 1, 9, so we can go off all by ourselves and just talk to Jesus about our dirtiness. Whew, that's done. Let's go. He would say, he can't do that. You've got to have another Christian in the room. You've got to have another Christian listening to that. What would that do? Two things. Slow down the sin, probably. And, and allow a more thorough sense of cleansing upon confession. But he said, you've got to have the body of Christ present. We are so far from that. We are so individualistic. And so what I would encourage is that we consider making a list. And Some of you are making plans. Maybe most of you, I suspect. most of our, Us old people are kind of stuck. Um, most of you who are students are trying to Figure out where we're going and what's going to happen and where will it be and who will it be with and, and how will it look. And so there's a time to make a list. And I would encourage you to consider that. And I would ask a few things on the list. I would list who's involved in this. Family people, Christian people, church people. And ask and answer the question, who am I blessing? To whom will I be a blessing? To whom will I witness? How will this plan affect my my testimony and my my witness somewhere? Because Paul is even concerned here about the lost, about the disobedient. And he knows that his plan is somehow going to impact the lost. How is ours? Do we even think on these lines? Well, we have to if we write it down. To whom will I be a blessing? To whom shall I witness? Or will I be sharing my faith with whom? And to whom will I be accountable? We talk a lot about discipleship here at Montana Bible College, and there's an element of accountability that's attached to that. What about when you're not here anymore? What about when you're out there? What about when you're the missionary? You're the pastor. You're the worker. You're on the front line. To whom will I be accountable? That's a big question. Can you name a name? Should be able to. We all should be able to. Okay. Let's knock this whole thing off with question number eight. I have time. That means you have time. We've already talked about not being in a hurry. And Nate is down below cooking up some baked potatoes for us. So, happy St. Patrick's Day. Now, Final question, and this is sort of an overarching one. Can I, with regard to my plan, as I've kind of worked it through and I've been as thorough as I can be uh, as I'm trying to, to figure this thing out, where I'm going, can I have confidence in God's blessing? Is this a plan that Scripture would indicate God would sanction and bless? Will this plan, how will this plan make him look good? Look what the Apostle says. These are amazing verses. First, verse 29. I know, he says, that when I come to you and I finally get there to that church in Rome, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I've covered the bases. I've been conscientious. I've dialed it all in. And he says in verse 32, again, so that I may come to you in joy, get this, by the will of God. Wow. Wow. That's got to be sort of liberating. And and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Can I have confidence in God's blessing? Isn't that what we want to be able to say? Wow, God, God God is going to bless this because this is going to make him look good because I am seeking conscientiously to be and to do what he has for me to be and to do. You know, who was I just talking to recently? Oh, I know. Having to do with um, guys asking the girl's dad if I can marry your daughter. I remember going through that. Long ago, I went to my future in-laws. They were standing in the kitchen. My mother-in-law was making rolls. Rolls hard rolls, and so she was kneading dough in lumps, kind of putting them on the wax paper there, getting, letting, letting them rise and so forth. And my father-in-law was standing in the doorway. I can see this to this day. And I had worked on this. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. This is, this is big. And I had kind of had a little speech, kind of a little rehearsed thing that I wanted to do, and so time was right. And I cleared my throat, and I said something to the effect of, I would like your permission to marry your daughter. And I will not forget my mother-in-law's jaw kind of sagged, (laughs) dropped a bit, and my father-in-law stood in the doorway. Yeah. Yeah, she's worse now. Um, (laughs) My father-in-law stood in the... I could see him standing in the doorway, and he just was standing there, just... (laughs) Just chuckling about it, and not saying a word. And so my mother-in-law starts stammering, "Well, yep, I'm, I'm and he's still over here chuckling. I, I'm sure that well, we would just be so. I, and finally, she picked up a wad of that dough and threw it at him. <laughs> and that's how it all kind of began. But but I realized, I realized that. That was quite an ordeal for me. The pressure was on. I was fairly confident what the answer would be, but still, it's still still a big deal. It occurs to me that, you know what? If all is well, and Gail can speak to this better than I can, if all is well, the father of the bride is happy to give his blessing. Everything is right. Don't you see? Don't you believe that that's how God sees it too? Doesn't He? He's standing there saying, "Yeah, please follow my plan. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will open doors to you. I will be honored in what you do." The Apostle Paul talked about how I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, and so there's laid up for me in heaven this crown of righteousness, and that, thats where it goes. That's where it goes. You know, God doesn't play games. God doesn't jerk us around. God doesn't hide. He's not capricious. He doesn't change his mind and and think it's funny when we screw up. Uh, He's not like we are. He's like he is. I think that's where, you know, Micah 6.8 will always apply. What is good? What does the Lord require of you? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. That's where we are. I'm going to pray now, again, and um, then we'll go eat Nate's spuds. Let's bow. Again, Father, it is a delight and a privilege beyond our ability to imagine to be your children. Sometimes we think we get what that's about, but Lord, we know that when we get to glory someday, we will be so astonished at your amazing way and, and your depth and your beauty, and your love. We can't begin to fathom it now. But Father, as we stumble our way along, as we try to walk with you, as we seek to do the right thing, and follow the right path, and go through the right door, and all that's involved in this pilgrimage where we see through a glass darkly, oh Lord, we're so glad that the everlasting arms are always underneath, and we're so glad you don't play games with us. And you're so glad that you're, we're so glad that your formula is simple, if we would but do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with you. I pray that for my brothers and sisters, particularly those who are just putting the first step out there and moving forward in your grace. Please be the hero of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.